Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Welcome to Episode 7. So today we sit down and really continue with verse 6. We kind of started with it last week, uh, but today we really kind of sit down. Verse 6 of chapter 1, as I said last week, is one of the first of the passages which so many people find very troubling about 1 John and just difficult to understand. Um, And so today we just kind of park there and really confront a lot of the things that really do make a lot of people uncomfortable about that. Uh, I will say there is a glimmer of hope at the end uh, that we do see that I think as we peek ahead into verse 7 that we can see that John intends this stuff not as a threat but as a promise. Anyway, here we go. Welcome back. Welcome back. You may be wondering um, how are we going to follow up the breakneck speed of our previous study uh, where we discussed almost two entire verses? Uh, Are we going to maintain uh, that momentum forward and, uh, you know, cover three verses today. Um, no, no, I think actually we're going to probably end up adjusting back in the other direction because there's a lot we didn't say about that second verse that I really want to sit on because I think myself, I feel like these two verses uh, are, um, you know, verses five and six um, are like, this is, it's kind of the, the like the blueprint of everything John is going to do in this entire epistle. I mean, I feel like this is kind of the heart of that. So, yeah, Serena, totally going to do a recap. For those of you who are following live, I know it's been, I know for those of you who are following asynchronously, you're in a different situation, right? If you've discovered this later and are just listening through, um, you know, you can go straight from one to another. For those of us who are live, uh, I've been traveling a lot. And so uh, it's been a while. Um, So let us, let us, I know, let us reread, right? So let's start by rereading. Let's reread the whole thing. Let's uh, reorient ourselves here uh, into First John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, that's as far as we got. These, those are the two verses, five and six there, uh, that we talked about last time. And they're kind of a big deal, right? We were looking at God is light, right? This is the message. This, you know, he talks about the proclamation, right? So we go just to look back briefly over one through four, you know, which we spent uh, a while talking about, right? Um, He talks about proclaiming, to us, right? And then, of course, you'll remember that was the main verb, right, of that long sentence in verses one through three. Um, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Um, 
And then instead of telling us the proclamation, you'll recall he tells us why he's proclaiming it so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, uh, by the way, our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And of course, you'll remember that the words koinonia, the words fellowship, there are koinonia, right? You may have koinonia with us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ, our fellowship, this bond among us, right? Um, We have a bond with the father and his son, Jesus Christ, and we have a bond with each other. And these two things are all tied together. Um, as, and this is why, right? This is why he's proclaiming unto us these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And we were talking about how um, I was suggesting that has something of the structure of Hebrew poetry, right? That verse four is in a sense restating what he said in verse three, right? We proclaim unto you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So that that idea of the making complete of our joy, right? Being tied with this idea of fellowship, not just fellowship with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ, but fellowship with each other as well, right? Okay. And then, of course, last time is when we got to the message itself. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And we spent some time looking at that metaphor, right? This is a, uh, this is a, a, a poetic metaphor on John's part uh, where he is taking God and he's taking light and he's putting those things next. That's how a metaphor works, right? You take two ideas and you put them next to each other. Um, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So he first kind of invites us to think about God as light. We spent some time last time talking about God and light. And in particular, we were talking about uh, the sun as the uh, much more in the ancient world than in the modern world, um, the obvious and um, a sort of inescapable source of light. There are other sources of light that were available, right? There was, you know, there was fire and there were candles and things like that. Um, but, uh, uh, but much more than in the modern world, the sun is the, you know, was the dominant source of light, right? So we spent some time thinking about, you know, God and the sun and uh, the, the, uh, and then following John's emphasis, in him there is no darkness at all, right? So there are lots of ways in which we can take, and we, and we talked about many of them, um, in which we can take the God is light metaphor, right? Um, what is he telling us about God in telling us that God is light? But of course, we need to focus first and foremost on taking his own cue there. And his cue is in him there is no darkness at all, right? What is he emphasizing about The way in which God is light, he is emphasizing um, that there is no darkness at all in God, right? The complete uh, lack of darkness and the way in which light excludes darkness. So we talked about, uh, you know, light and shadow and, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, how uh, you can't, uh, you know, you can't bring darkness into the presence of light, right? It's just, uh, it's just not possible. There is no possible intermingling of light and darkness. Light, when darkness is exposed to light, it simply vanishes, right? Darkness goes away when light comes in. Um, The two can't be, you can't have a compromise, 
between them, right? Um, uh, you can obscure light, right? Things can stand in the way of light. You can get out of the light, right? You can go behind something else, um, but you can't bring darkness into the light and create a space where there is darkness and light overlapping, right? That's not how it works. Um, things can, obs- can obstruct or obscure light. Um, but again, nothing can uh, mingle with light in that way. Um, then we got, and, and I was talking last time about how, you know, as I'm studying verse five, I can't help but feel like there's a trap, right? This is a simple and beautiful metaphor about God, right? Um, but there is something in the way that that last part of the verse is framed. In him, there is no darkness at all. That makes me feel the trap closing around me, right? Um, and that the trap gets sprung there in verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We don't do the truth. Um, and uh, yeah, it's impossible. It's imp- Just as it's impossible to bring darkness into the presence of light and have it remain darkness, there's no darkness in the presence of light. Um, so it is impossible to walk in the darkness and have fellowship with God. And there's that word again, koinonia. If we say that we have fellowship with him, koinonia, with him. And remember, that was a premise before, right? Indeed, our fellowship, our koinonia, a first person plural, our, right? Not just mine, right? He's like, you know, I have koinonia with the father. And so, and if you have koinonia with me, you have koinonia with, that's not what he's doing, right? We have koinonia with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. That's the given, right? He's addressing people who have fellowship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. But if we say we have fellowship, like he just did say that we have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. You cannot walk in darkness. Um, You cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with God anymore then you would, uh, then you can bring darkness into the presence of light. It's not possible. You might as well try to swim in a lake and stay dry, right? You can't do it. Now, of course, the light and darkness metaphor is much better than the wetness and dryness metaphor, right? Uh, that's not the metaphor that John uses. Um, yeah, God and, but God and darkness do not mix in him. There is no darkness at all. And we have to confront what this means for us, right? We have to confront what this means for us. And doing so is really uncomfortable, right? We have koinonia with God, right? This bond, this fellowship with God but we so often try to convince ourselves that we can have it both ways. Don't we? Right. Uh, I mean, like there are things that we do that we know are not right. Not just like I make an occasional slip, right. But things that I 
do and accept about myself, right, that I know are not right. And we tell ourselves, I know I'm not perfect, right? But, you know, fortunately, God accepts me as I am, right? Um, God accepts me the way I am. But if we stay there, right? Remember, he's not talking about, he's not talking to people who do not believe. He's not, ta- he's not trying to convince people to establish a relationship with God. He's talking about people who have already been accepted by God, who have koinonia with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ, right? And if you're there, if you're in that situation, if you have that koinonia with God and you continue walking in darkness, then you're lying and not doing the truth. You are just, it's not, it, it can't happen. You're living a lie. If we try to tell ourselves that God accepts us, despite the fact that we're walking in darkness, that we're walking in darkness, but, but you know, through God's grace, he accepts us. We're, we're living a lie. Why? Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get there, Serena. Um, and we're going to have to, to some extent, of course, the uh, Serena is asking about walking in darkness. Like what does walking in darkness mean? Um, it's, it's, this is an important question. Of course, to some extent, we'll have to kind of wait to see where we go, but there are two words here that seem that we must do business with, right. In order to move forward. Um, I'm, I don't f- I don't want merely to make an assumption that it means doing bad deeds, Serena, but there are two things here. He says two very important things about it. One is the word walk, right? Um, He talks about walking in the darkness, have fellowship with him. On the one hand, we have fellowship with him right? Or we say that we have fellowship with him, right? On the one hand, and the thing on the opposite side, right? The, that other thing that cannot be reconciled with having fellowship with him is walking in the darkness, right? Um, it's not being in the darkness. It's not perceiving the darkness. It's not talking about the darkness, right? It's walking. And it's a very, it's another metaphor, right? Um, and it's a very physical metaphor. Sorry, I'm on my uh, concordance here. Um, uh, uh, the word is parapetomen. It just, it means walk around, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, so it's a very action-oriented word in the first place, right? And then I think it's pretty clear that he doubles down on that action thing in a little bit, uh, when he talks about practicing the truth, doing the truth. And I'll come back to that because I think that he really emphasizes that at the end. We do not practice the truth. We don't do the truth. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Right. Aiden, cool. Yeah. Walk around. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more, Aiden, about the context of, uh, uh, I want to make sure I'm getting it right, Peripatoman uh, here, uh, the walking around, um, different like circumstances in which that word would be used, That because there's another word for walk, right, uh, That where that wouldn't be used. Can you... Uh, can you give some examples? Because uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm myself a little uncertain about that. So I'd love to learn more about that. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, I mean, just, just coming back to this for a second. Um, uh, it's not just that it's wrong. Now, there's one parallel here, um, which it kind of jumps out at one from the rest of the Bible, especially like again and again and again throughout the Hebrew Bible, right? Um, this idea of walking in the darkness and have fellowship, having fellowship with God in the light um, certainly makes me think of all of the language which just permeates the Hebrew Bible, right? Permeates the Old Testament about the holiness of God, right? And all of the, I mean, if it's certainly uh, on the short list, right, of messages, which God was very, very clear about to the Israelites, right? Do not just waltz into the holy place and bring unholy things into the holy place, right? Don't just, like, it, it, holiness matters, right? Um, I mean, it, it's, it is wrong to bring darkness into the presence of God, right? That is, that is a big deal, right? Ask Isaiah. Um, you think about Isaiah's vision of uh, when he has a dream and in his dream, he finds himself in the holy place of God, right? In the, uh, in the, 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 the courts of God, in God's presence. And he is terrified and assumes he is going to be obliterated, right? Um, he knows, he is unclean. He comes from an unclean people. Like he's, God is going to destroy him, rightly going to destroy him, right? Ask Nahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, right? Who bring strange fire uh, into right at the beginning, right? Uh, bring strange fire into the Holy of Holies and are stricken dead. Ask Ananias and Sapphira, right? Uh, you know, in Acts chapter five, bringing darkness into the presence of, this is a big deal. It's a huge, huge deal. Um, uh, in, in like throughout the Bible, especially in, uh, um, especially, uh, you know, emphasized again and again in the Hebrew Bible, this is a major trend, right? But I don't think that that's not exactly the language John is using here. It has that element to it, right? This idea of the, the, his insistence on God being light and there being no darkness at all in him is like a lot of that purity and holiness of God language from the Old Testament, right? And does remind me of the, you know, all of those important injunctions, the, the purity and, and, and cleansing uh, injunctions that God makes, that, that lesson that he's teaching again and again throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and again, we see it continuing even in the New Testament. We see it with Ananias and Sapphira again. Um, and uh, um Okay, so, um, but as I say, I don't see John using primarily that language. Like he's not threatening here, right? He doesn't say, 
if you bring darkness into the presence of light, you're going to be in big trouble, right? God's going to blast you, right? That's not what he says. What he says is, it's not true. You can't do it. If you say that you're doing it, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to everybody else, right? You can say, you can say that you have fellowship with God and you can continue walking in darkness. But if you say that, it's not true. It's the mere impossibility of it that he's talking about, right? Again, he's not saying, beware lest ye bring darkness into the presence of God, right? That's not what he says. (laughs) What he says is, you can say that, but if you say it, if you're walking in darkness, then you can say all day long that you have fellowship with God. You don't. You don't. It's not true. The darkness in which you're walking is proof. And again, it's like back to the sun, right? If you are in the shade, you are not in the sun. <laughs> like that's, that's it, right? Like if, if you are in darkness, you can't get a tan, right? Like it's, it's not, <laughs> you, you can say it all you like, right? You can, you can, you can lie out, uh, you know, in your basement <laughs> and say that, you're enjoying the warm sunshine and getting a tan, but you're not going to get a tan, right? I mean, like it's, 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 that's the kind of language that he's using it here. There is no darkness at all with God. You can be in fellowship with God and you can walk in darkness, but you can't do both. It's not possible. It's not possible. You cannot bring darkness into the presence of God. It doesn't work because God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. Right. Um, I want to, before, and Serena, I'm, um, Serena, I'm coming back to, um, uh, I'm coming back to the, to your question about like, what does walking in darkness mean and stuff? And I want to come back in particular to that second word. The walk word is, is, is one. Um, it's talking about the things, you know, it's talking about, an, it, it uses a, an action word, right? About walking in darkness. Um, but the second thing is that practicing word. I want to come back to that practice, the do word that he uses about truth. Um, but first, I just, I want to acknowledge the objection right off that I think closes so many people off from receiving John's message in this epistle. I know that this is <clears throat> a kind of what kept me away from first John for a really long time. Right. Um, for a lot of people, a lot of people read this kind of thing, like these two verses and say, okay, look, if I accept that, if I accept that there can be no darkness in the presence of God, then I would have to accept that I can't have fellowship with God at all. You know, I mean, like that's, that's, that sets an impossible standard, doesn't it? I mean, like we're sinful. We can't be perfect. I can't, I'm going to mess up, right? There's going to be darkness in me. And so therefore, if there is any dark, if any, if the presence of any darkness in me, if like a lack of total perfection on my part means that I'm not in fellowship with God, then I guess fellowship with God is impossible, right? for humans, for sinful humans. And so since I can't accept that and remain a Christian, 
right? Then that can't be what he means, right? Then either we chuck out first John entirely, or we say he can't mean what he seems to say, right? I mean, this seems really simple, but he can't mean that, right? He can't mean it because I know I can't be totally clear of darkness. And so therefore, um, uh, but I, but I believe that fellowship with God is in fact possible. And so therefore he can't actually mean this. And so the tendency is either to ignore first John, which I think a lot of people do, um, or we apply our ingenuity to making it seem somehow compatible with the idea that we as sinful people can be sinful people and be in relationship with God. Um, you know, we try to look at it from lots of angles to try to figure out ways, right. In which we can say, okay, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm okay. Right. Um, John, John's language, and we will see this again and again throughout the epistle. John does not compromise. And every time he starts making you uncomfortable (laughs) with something like this, he's likely to follow it up by making it worse. Um, He seems to me aggressively uninterested in allowing us to be comfortable about this. Um, (laughs) Aggressively uninterested in letting us be comfortable. he uses these simple, unwavering, absolute contraries. Um, Now, I believe that before he ends this current paragraph, he is going to address exactly that problem, the problem that I was just raising, exactly the the fear, the concern, the uncertainty about, um, about, perfection and perfectionism, right? But I will say, in my personal opinion, uh, the desire to avoid the doctrine of perfectionism has led many, many people into big errors. Um, uh, I think we need to be a little cautious here. Um, And I think that people, because this stuff is really uncomfortable, get really quick to chuck it out or again, say like, okay, obviously it doesn't really mean that. Right. I think he means exactly what he says. I think it is exactly as simple as this. Um, John's logic is relentless, relentless in this book. And I think that we would do really well not to hide from it. Right. Not to try to, you know, quibble, with it, um, but instead try to understand, because I don't think in the end, John is being unreasonable. Um, He's being remorselessly logical, but I don't think at all that he's being unreasonable. Um, And I think that we can, I think that I do believe that what he says is perfectly possible and perfectly plausible. Um, And his simple, <laughs> unwavering, absolute contraries um, work. Um, but okay, we have to acknowledge, we have to, uh, light and darkness do not mix. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, now, 
back to doing the truth, practicing the truth. So that, that word, hang on, I want to add that word. Uh, okay, so this word, poyumen, do uh, and do not practice. So to, to practice. So let's let's uh, look up this word, poyo, right? Here we go, poyo. Um, to make or do. This is a this is a pretty generic word, right? But hang on. I don't think I added this. Did I add this to my list? I didn't. Let's add this to the list. Hang on a second. That's going to mess up my screen share. Never mind. I won't do it right now. Um, but anyway, I'm going to add this to the list. I forgot to add it to the list, but I'm going to add this to the list. Um, this is an important word. Um, and it's a word that's going to come up quite a bit uh, throughout the rest of the book. Um, and so first thing, um, look at the, look at the pairings, right? <clears throat> there are, there are a couple things, right? Um, first notice that he's introduced a second pairing. I did put this on the list. Yeah. Um, so we've got light and darkness, right? False. Oh, wait, I think this is a typo. Akotia, it's Scotia. Sorry. Uh, my apologies. Um, you've got light and darkness and you've got truth and lies, right? Um, and he has, he gives us the first pair, right? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Light is in opposition to darkness. And then he gives us a second pairing. We lie and do not practice the truth, right? So again, if we go to the Greek here, we've got lie is pseudomathia, right? So that pseudo is a, is a, as a, as a word part we're all familiar with in English, right? Um, we lie, pseudomathia, and truth, aletheia. So you've got the, uh, what did I say? Pseudomai. Pseudomai, right, to lie on the one hand, and aletheia, the truth, on the other hand. Um, okay, so he, we have a sort of a parallel, right? He's not, it's not an identity. They're not the same thing. But he's in these two verses, he parallels these two pairings, right? Light and darkness, truth and lying, right? Um, both of those two things are they're opposites and they're sort of parallel opposites to each other. Um, now, notice the imbalance. I talked about this a little bit last time. Notice the imbalance there in verse six. Um, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So at first I wanted to say that it's unequal, right? Like there are three things, right? We say we have fellowship with him. We lie and do not, it's, it doesn't end like I would expect it to end. I, this is what I said last time. It sounds like it should say we lie and do not tell the truth, right? Do not speak the truth. And that's the opposite of lying, right? I mean, we see even in the way that I've constructed the uh, pairing on this slide emphasizes a kind of imbalance here, right? Pseudomai is a verb, aletheia is a noun, right? Lying to tell a lie uh, and truth, a noun, right? That's, that's, that, that's the pairing. Here he's 
contrasting. He's, the opposition he's making is between a verb on the one hand and a noun on the other hand. And that feels weird, right? Again, it, there's, there feels unparalleled there in some way. Like there's something strange happening there. So I want to kind of investigate that a little bit more, right? I would expect him to say, we lie and do not speak the truth, do not tell the truth, right? But he doesn't say that. He says, we lie and do not do the truth, right? He takes it right out of the realm of speaking and right back into the realm of doing, right? In saying that we have fellowship with him, we are speaking a lie. But what matters in a sense is the doing, right? And notice um, it is in fact actually not unbalanced. The whole sentence is perfectly balanced or this whole half of the sentence is perfectly balanced, right? Because notice he does it twice. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, right? So our words about the koinonia, right? As on the one hand, and the walking in darkness is on the other hand, right? The whole point is that our words and our actions do not line up. If our words and our actions do not, if we say our words point to fellowship with God, but our actions, we're walking in darkness, right? Um, then second F, right? We lie our words again and do not do practice the truth. So in both halves, he is talking about this disjunction between what we say on the one hand and what we do on the other hand. So if he had finished the verse the way I would have expected him to finish the verse, right? We lie and do not speak the truth. Then he would just be talking about speaking all the way through. Right? This would merely be a teaching about hypocrisy, right? But it's not. Um, he is, doesn't say anything about speaking the truth. He talks about doing the truth, right? And doing the truth, that's, um, that, really, that really stands out, right? Um, we have to do or do not the truth, right? Um, what we say doesn't really matter as much, right? That's where the lie is. It's a mere fact that when there is a disjunction, right, that it's a lie. That's just a repetition, right? It's just a repetition to say, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, to say you're lying when you do that. Again, it's just, it's, a, it's an ontology. This is how John teaches, right? Uh, like that, that to identify one thing with another thing, right? If we say we have fellowship and walk with darkness, guess what that is? That's what's called lying, right? It's, it's you're saying a thing which is not true. We're not doing the truth. Um, and this, Serena, is why I think walking in the darkness absolutely is about our actions. It's about what we do. Um, he's very interested in deeds rather than words here, right? It's a matter of being 
It's a matter of doing. The emphasis is not really on what you say, I don't think, right? Um, and he's not saying, notice he doesn't even say, do not say you have fellowship with God if you walk in the darkness, right? That would be a command that would lay focus upon the words, right? Watch what you say would be a way to kind of paraphrase that, right? Um, but um, uh, that would be a way to paraphrase that. Um, but you can't paraphrase that this way. He's not saying watch out for your words. If you do say this and this other thing is true, then FYI, you're lying. Like that's, like it, 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 it does follow as the night, the day, uh, so to speak. Um, and this has some pretty fascinating and potentially disturbing implications. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters how you walk. That's what matters. That's what makes what you say either a lie or not a lie, right? I mean, and this goes against many of the things that I know I was taught in my own tradition, how I was raised. Um, do you say that you're a Christian? It doesn't actually matter. Do you say that you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's not what matters either. Do you identify as a Christian? Do you identify as a Catholic? Do you identify as the Eastern Orthodox or however you identify? That's not the important thing. That's not the important thing. God isn't interested in how you identify and how you think of yourself and how you talk about yourself. You can say you have fellowship with God all day long, right? However you conceive of that. But if you walk in darkness while you do that, then, by the way, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. You're not doing the truth. You can only have, having koinonia with him means doing the truth. Like you can only, only if you're in the light, are you near God? Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you're walking in darkness, you might think you're in fellowship with God, but you're not. You're not standing in the sun. If you're standing in darkness, like that's, it's as simple as that, right? Um, if you're standing in the darkness, you're not standing in the sun. If that seems like incredibly simplistic, that's exactly how simplistic John is making this all the way through. That's his, fa that's his favorite thing to do. Um, and I would add, um, it's not just that the saying isn't enough, right? I mean, I'm tempted to kind of uh, temporize there and be like, well, it's, it's not, you know, it's not enough just to say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It's not enough just to identify as a Christian. Um, that's good, but it's not, it's, it, you know, it's insufficient in itself, right? I'm tempted to kind of temporize that way. But that is not the logic of John's words here. Right? The logic of his words is not, it's a good thing, but it's not quite enough of a good thing. Um, 
the logic of his, of his words is if what you do, if what you practice does not match what you say, then what you say is a lie, is a bad thing. It is itself walking in darkness. It's, you're not practicing the truth. The truth is a thing you do. You have to walk in the truth. You have to practice the truth. You have to walk in the light and practice the truth. And if, if you're declaring, right, if you're confessing something and you're not walking it and you're not practicing truth, then you're in darkness. You're lying to yourself and to everybody else. So again, it's not only like it's an insufficiently good thing. It becomes a bad thing. If there is, if you're, if you're in darkness, you're not in the light. <laughs> you're not standing in the sunlight, right? Um, and this is, I think, why it's so crucial that we don't try to weasel out of what John is saying here, right? If we try to convince ourselves that John can't possibly mean this, right? Um, uh, in other words, if we're trying, if we try to reconcile light and darkness, we're not, we're not doing the truth here, right? Um, if we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie. There's no escape from that. We have no excuse. We have to, inst- that doing the truth is the only option. Now, um, I want to talk in a minute. Um, John is going to give us not a way out of this. There's no escape from the logic of what he's saying here. Um, but it's not quite so grim as it might sound when we try to apply it, right? Uh, the, uh, the, the, there is no place for despair when confronted with this. Um, but let me stop for a second. Cause I know this is, um, I feel very preachy today in uh, talking about this stuff and I, I can't help but raise the, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm experiencing, uh, uh, like the preacher's dilemma here. I don't know. I, I assume many preachers think about this, right? But you think about like what happens when you've got a priest, right? Or a pastor or whatever, standing in front of the people, right? I mean, the whole positioning of like how sermons happen in church really, kind of, you know, I mean, it's part of the whole liturgical experience, right? From all the way back in its, in its older roots. Um, you know, you have the priest who's standing facing the people, right? Usually with cross at least behind him or the altar behind him right there's there's this sense of the priest or pastor or in older days prophet speaking for god right speaking the words of god to the people and it's a the pastor's dilemma i called it the pastor's dilemma before it's a it's a really dangerous position right there's that that tendency to draw a line between the priest and others and in a sense that's an important element of what's going on here right? Like to, to be receiving uh, uh, teaching from God from somebody, right? From a person. Um, but, uh, but of course, it's, it's really dangerous also as a person, <laughs> right? To be like, I can't put myself on the side of God and just say these things to people, right? Um, I'm not on the other side of that line in any way, right? <laughs> not at all. Um, and um, you know what? It, 
as I, I was kind of, as I was sort of thinking about this and reflecting on this. Um, so anyway, I, I, all I'm saying is I'm super self-conscious about this. Like I'm really self-conscious about this uh, because this is um, not something I'm comfortable with. Right? I'm not comfortable standing here and just kind of talking to people and saying, yeah, if you're walking in dark, dark darkness, knock it off people. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right? Like I'm not, that's not, that's not me. Um, but it occurred, something occurred to me here when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the prophets, Old Testament prophets. Right. And I was thinking about how, like this issue of like the, you know, preacher's dilemma, right. This sense of like putting one side or speaking as if one is on the other side of the line, right. Like these, uh, you know, God's warnings and teachings and, uh, you know, messages and things don't, don't apply to, I'm the one who delivers them. Right. Like, so, you know, it's and with this, you know, like as if like with authority or whatever. Um, I'm remembering the prophets and how often God had the prophets themselves in their own bodies, uh, often very painfully or horribly performed things, right. Going about naked, marrying prostitutes, uh, cooking bread over poop. All those things that are going on that the, you know, all the, uh, those things which God commands the prophets to enact, right? This is the kind of street theater uh, that the Old Testament prophets are so often doing. Um, uh, And of course, what they're doing is he has them like enacting um, in themselves, like demonstrating the sins of the people, like the message that he's trying to convey, like he, he has them dramatize this for everybody that often happens. Right. Um, and it occurs to me that, that, uh, that seems to me to fit. Uh, it seems to me a, a very interesting counteraction to what is not only the preacher's dilemma, but even more forcibly the prophet's dilemma, right. Um, the prophet himself was one of those people who was receiving the warning from God, right? Um, Not exempt to it at all. And of course, I think about Paul's declaration of being the chief of sinners, and I can certainly understand that. Um, Anyway, like I said, I'm very self-conscious about all this. I just wanted to emphasize before I keep preaching that um, I'm preaching all this because I need to hear it myself more that's like primarily um i mean of course i do say these things in hope trusting that the spirit will make them a blessing to you as well um but primarily i'm saying them because i'm working them out for myself uh i you know many of you who know me know that i um i i think with my mouth right um and there were two reasons that i wanted to start this bible study one was that so i i began reading and studying and as i as i said memorizing first john and i i found it having a huge impact on my life but i felt the conviction very strongly that i wanted to teach this book not because i feel myself to be an authority on it um not because you know i like have a message for everybody else i i did want to, I did and do want to share some of the things that I felt like I was seeing, right? That uh, some of the ways in which I feel like it was impacting me to study it. But the like number one reason, 
and I'm not ashamed of this. <laughs> the number one reason that I wanted to teach First John is that I knew that by doing that, I would understand it better. Um, and that I, it would help me to work this out for myself. So when I'm talking through this stuff, but please understand that that's what I'm doing. I'm talking through this stuff and I am 100%. And it's not just that I am including myself in these really uncomfortable things that explaining John forces me to say, but uh, I'm not just including it. I'm like primarily <laughs> thinking about myself and working this. I'm trying to think about what, how do, what does this mean for my life? Because th- this is the fact, like I know I've been walking in darkness most of my life. I, I know this to be true. Um, I know this to be true. And I'm, you know, again, I'm sharing this book with you because this book hit me like a ton of bricks and has already begun setting me freer than I've ever been in my adult life. Um, So, uh, you know, you know, what we have talked about before, you know, the whole sort of like what now, right. Uh, So you, so you believe, right. So you have become, you know, you've been accepted by God and you have accepted the, you know, the gospel message and you um, have become a Christian. What now? Um, um, God is Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus died for our sins and was raised for the dead from the dead. So what? Right. I mean, I, and I, I trust, you know, I'm not saying that disrespectfully, right. But, but really trying to work that out. So what, what does that mean? for me in my life. Like, how do I make any sense of this? Right. How, what, how do I do the truth? How do I practice the truth? And what should that look like? Those things I feel like I've never, um, I've never understood and I strive to understand. Um, And I really appreciate the generosity of all of you who are coming along with me uh, on this journey of discovery uh, that I'm going on. So anyway, um, I do hope that you understand that wherever I'm coming from in talking about this stuff, it's not a place of smug superiority. I'm certainly not coming from a place where I feel like I've got everything worked out. I'm trying to to, uh, browbeat you guys into submission. I'm trying to figure this all out. Okay. Um, I wanted to dwell on this imperative of doing the truth. Um, and cause I think this is, this is crucial to understand this opposition, right? If we say yet walk, we lie and don't practice the truth. So what is it, you know, what is this doing the truth? Um, I do think that there's a solution to the dilemma, the dilemma of like, how can I see myself in that? What hope is there for me? How can I have fellowship with God if it is impossible to walk in darkness and yet have fellowship with him? Um, And the solution is in the rest of the verse, the rest of the sentence rather. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us, cleanses us. From all sin. Sorry, I almost lapsed into the King James and said, cleanseth us uh, from all sin. That's why I stumbled over that. Because remember, the King James is what I memorized. So I will sometimes lapse into it accidentally. Um, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, there's your answer. 
Um, if you worry that walking in the that you're walking in the darkness and there is darkness in you, and therefore you can't have fellowship with God. Um, in the end, the solution to that is as simple and straightforward as again everything. He's putting everything in these really simple, absolute terms, right? What do you have to do? What's the answer? How can we, even though we sin, walk in the light? What step? Just step into the light, right? How do you deal with the darkness inside? Step into the light. Do you have a walking in darkness problem? Great. Walk in the light as he himself is in the light. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice the tense there, because I think that that's important. Let's go to the Greek here for a second. And just just confirm this here. Uh, Here we go. Yeah, and the blood, this is what I'm talking about. And the blood of Jesus, the son of him, cleanses us. There you go. Present active, yeah? Oh, got the whole thing here. Um, present indicative. Yeah, that's present. P-I-A, present indicative active, right? Pretty sure. Present indicative active, third person singular is what we're talking about there. Um, yeah, yeah. Plain present tense. Cleanses us from all sin. Do you see the significance of that? You feel the significance of that? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. It's not past tense, right? It's not talking about our conversion, right? We once were sinful, but then our sin was cleansed. Past tense cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you have a darkness problem, how do you solve the darkness problem? Step into the light. Step into the light. That's it. What will happen if you go into it? Because you see, this is the beautiful thing. The message, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. My first impulse was that that felt like a trap, right? And it felt like it because I know that there's darkness in me. And what's more, I know that there's darkness in me that I don't want to let go of. I don't. Um, and so if there's no, so I could feel it coming. If there's no darkness at all in God, if there's no place for any darkness at all in God, then that's uncomfortable, right? But the solution is just as simple. The solution is also there in that same verse. It isn't just that you can't bring darkness. That's true. You can't bring darkness into the presence of light. The light will destroy it. The light will eliminate it. But that's the message too, right? That's the grace of it. If you try to bring darkness into the, you can't do it. And if you try to bring darkness into the presence of light, what will happen to it? The darkness will go away. And that's a good thing. 
right? That's the grace of it. Um, and that's kind of amazing, right? What sounds almost like a threat at first. If there is any darkness in you, you are not welcome in the presence of the holy God. And in a sense, that's true, right? There's an element of truth there. And again, we see that message emphasized again and again. But that's not John's emphasis. Walk in the light. Step into the light. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. And his light will drive out the darkness. There is no darkness in him. There is no darkness in his presence. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, That sounds to me like another way of saying that same thing. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And again, you notice that we're straight back to Old Testament temple imagery there, right? Um, It's easy. The image of the blood of Christ cleansing our sins has become kind of so naturalized in Christian vocabulary that it's easy to forget that it's Jewish vocabulary, right? Um, That what the Jewish New Testament writers were thinking when they said that was not like an abstract Christian theological statement, right? But a direct link back to, remember, that's the, like, that's how you can get, you, it's, you can go, it is possible for humans to go into the holy place, right? You can, there's a, there's a method. You can't just bring darkness into the light, right? You can't just bring uh, uncleanness into the presence of the holy God. But there is a mechanism for that. You Cleansing is possible, right? Um, the blood of the sacrifice cleanses. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so there we are in the light, walking in the light as he himself is in the light. Um, No darkness, when you shift it from no darkness can come into his presence to no darkness can remain in his presence. Well, that sounds different, doesn't it? Um, Instead of inspiring despair, it, for me anyway, inspires hope, right? Um, It's not a threat. It's a promise. There is no darkness at all in God, right? And once again, I come back to the opposition between the saying and the doing, right? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And it's primarily ourselves that we're lying to, right? What do we have to do (laughs) in order to walk in the darkness? We have to get out of the light. We have to hide, right? Like Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes from God, right? That's the only place where darkness is, is to step away from him, to hide from him behind other obstacles that block the light, right? 
That's the only way that we can walk the dark, walk in the darkness. That's why it's a lie. That's why it's such a simple lie to say that we can have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. You can't even find any darkness to walk in with him in fellowship with him. If you're in fellowship with him, you're near him. There isn't any darkness there to walk in. We have to be like Adam and Eve in the bushes, like Jonah in his ship, right? His Tarshish bound ship, right? We have to be hiding from God. We have to be ducking down behind some obstacle or other, right? In the shadows, in the darkness. That's the only way that it's possible to walk in the darkness. And you can't, um, you can't be walking towards someone and away from them at the same time, right? You can't be joining yourself to someone in fellowship and hiding from them at the same time. Like it's not possible. And if, and so therefore, if you're walking in darkness and saying you have, it's, 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 it's not true. It's not possible. You're lying to yourself. And therefore, walk in the light as he himself is in the light. By the way, one of the uh, experiences of memorizing First John, and I was kind of marching through and memorizing and, 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 and you know, reflecting and meditating on these verses, um, you know, and on the whole argument as it unfolds, I kept finding myself backing into really familiar verses or parts of verses, not even whole verses sometimes, certainly not whole sentences, but parts of verses, um, bits that people quote a lot um, and finding <laughs> that uh, it's not just that they were quoting them out of context. Almost every, ver- almost every verse that gets quoted a lot as a verse is being quoted out of context by definition um, as you know, there is very little in the New Testament that is given as like snippets for quotations, right? Um, it's just not that kind of book generally. Um, uh, but anyway, um, this is one, right? Verse seven, chapter one, verse seven is one of those. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all, cleanses us from all sin. I did it again. Um, uh, that's, a, you know, something I've heard, right? A lot in contexts, right? Uh, various contexts. But um, you don't hear verse six. <laughs> quoted anything like as often right um alex i totally just had that dc talk song in my head as i was saying that um the <laughs> about walking in the light as he is in the light um i want to shine like the stars in the heaven yeah that, no that's absolutely uh what was going through my head right there uh alex um yes yes um uh that's I mean, like that idea, this is, it's such a beautiful idea, right? To walk in the light as he himself is in the light and the linking both to not only to being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but also to having fellowship with one another. I mean, oh man, that's so beautiful. Um, <laughs> people don't, you know, I've, um, I've never gone into somebody's house and found first John one, six 
you know, cross-stitched on somebody's wall, right? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. <laughs> I mean, that's just, but it's one sentence. It's well, you can't start the sentence halfway through. You can't start a sentence with a but. Yeah, I mean, like you can't start as if the sentence started with the but, right? You have to, you have to, you have to, seriously, people, <laughs> like that's not, that's not okay, right? Um, and this happens so often in First John. It came up again and again. I kept like going, I'm going through, and I'm like, wow, this is a really hard passage. And I was like, oh, I know that verse, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the verse people like to talk about. Um, thinking about the blood of Jesus, his son, cleansing us from all sin and thinking about, again, back to the, the parallels, you know, the, the holiness thing, right? Thinking think about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six, the vision of, of uh, um, the vision of Isaiah uh, in the, you know, the throne room of God. Um, he thinks he's going to be destroyed, right? What happens to Isaiah? Isaiah finds himself in the light, right? Uh, and he's troubled because he feels that he's bringing darkness into the presence of the light. He's bringing uncleanness into the presence of the holy uh, and he's going to be destroyed. And his fear um, that he's going to be destroyed. And he seems to be experiencing, by the way, both flavors of fear. There are lots of flavors of fear, but there are you know, the, the fear of the Lord and simple terror for one's life, right? Not exactly the same thing, but he's failing them both in that moment, right? The fear of the Lord for sure. And fear, terror for his life. He believes he's going to be destroyed. He thinks he should be destroyed. I mean, like it's like, he thinks he's, he, he thinks he's going to be destroyed in the same way, like that you would think you're going to be destroyed if you find yourself in the middle of a, a, fiery furnace, for instance, to throw out a random example, right? Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so um, it's, just, I mean, it's like, it's, it's what happens, right? Being unclean in the presence of God brings destruction in the same way that being in fire burns you, right? I mean, like, that's, that's how it works, Right. Um, and his fear seems to be entirely confirmed when, you know, the angel takes the coal, the burning coal and comes at him with it. Right. Um, okay. This is the mechanism of his distress. He is going to be burned. Right. Um, but of course his, he is burned right? His mouth is burned. His lips are burned, but they are cleansed, right? The um, cleansing image comes in there explicitly, right? Um, In verse seven, cleanses us from all sin. It's going to repeat that word in a little bit. Um, Isaiah believes he finds to his surprise that when he enters the light, he is not destroyed. He is cleansed and it is an act of grace, right? Again, it, it does happen, right? When 
the unclean is brought into the presence of God. That, that brings about death and it brings about death in many cases. God, God is serious about that. It's like a kind of natural law, right? Um, but Isaiah receives this amazing grace, right? And he is burned, but the burning cleanses him. And this is with just the same kind of logical forcefulness. John opens this grace to us, right? Shows that this grace is open to us. Um, God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. Step into the light and the dark, and you will be cleansed from all sin. All sin, right? From all sin, not just a little of your sin, not just, you know, the darkness won't just be reduced. The darkness will be gone in the presence of God. You won't just be cleaner. You'll be clean. Cleansed from all sin. He cleanses, present tense, us from all sin. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Alex, no, I did not talk about the analogy of how leprosy is cast out of the leper, but that's, of course, another example of the, uh, of the cleanness stuff, right? Um, and how things can be made clean, right? So again, there's um, lots of... Uh, Lots of mechanisms for that, and that's something. Boy, I've been doing a lot of. Uh, um, I've been doing a lot of Hebrew Bible study lately, and uh, it's one of the things I feel like I've come to understand so much, just see so much more clearly. Um, it was always easy for me to focus on, you know, all the, you know, the Leviticus, you know, as like this like set of restrictions simply restrictions like and some of which seem senseless in some ways right like why do i have to do why why should i do that why should anybody do that why does god require people to do that this is weird right um but more and more i've come to see all of those you know the the ritual cleanness things um it's you know it's not a condemnation it's a it's it it provides means uh it provides means to become clean, right? Um, you can see, it becomes just clearer and clearer to see how this, the blood of Jesus Christ, of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, um, is the fulfillment of that. Like to see those earlier things as the promise of which that is the fulfillment. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the ritual cleansing rules, do I think of them more like descriptions of the way things are than like instructions? Yeah, sort of. Um, this is a digression. I don't want to go too far down this digression, not only because there's only five minutes left, but also because it's a digression. Uh, um, but yeah, I um, uh We'll come back to it actually in John, in First John, because I think it's. I feel like First John actually has helped me understand the law so much better. Um, 
we're not, and it's, I mean, I'll tell you the parts I'm talking about. Um, John will frequently talk about us doing the commandments to his command, Jesus's commandments or keeping his commandments. Um, He's going to talk about that quite a bit. Um, And as I have thought more about what John is talking about there and how he's talking about there and how he's explaining that um, it has helped me to see the clear consistency between what God says on Mount Sinai, right. Um, about for the law. And, and I, I feel like I've finally re- just very recently come to understand Paul's teaching about the law as our school master, you know, like the, the, the law is our, our, you know, our, our teacher. Um, I feel like I finally understood. I just recently all in a rush feel like I understood the law. I understood uh um, I understood Christian liberty, like the idea of Christian liberty. I like all these things. I was like, kind of came together in a rush and it gets all like from meditating on first John. So we'll get there. We'll talk about, we'll talk about these things. Um, but um, anyway, so I, my answer to Serena is kind of uh, in a sense. Yes. Um, uh, but I don't know that that, I don't know. That's an opposition a description of the way things are versus instructions. I'm not sure that I make an opposition exactly between those two things. Um, but, um, okay. Now, one thing I want to acknowledge before we go. Um, uh, someone, um, uh, who was it? Yes, Aiden made the very sensible comment that the advice that we get here, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Um, Aiden says, it's awfully abstract advice. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, Yes. Great question. So we're not done with chapter seven. we have read and talked about chapter seven. Some we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about you because I, we need to address that. Also, we've totally skipped over the obviously important. We have fellowship with one another, right? I want to make sure we talk about that too, is we've already talked about that and he's clearly alluding back to that. So we need to, we need to, we need to discuss that and work that in here. Right. Um, Cause I think it's relevant Aiden, even to the, uh, even to your observation about the sort of vagueness of that advice. Like, what does it mean to walk in the light? Um, just like, what exactly does it mean to walk in the darkness, right? Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see him develop these ideas a little bit more. But, um, but a little warning, he's not going to develop them in the way that, like, Paul does. He doesn't talk the same way that Paul does. He's not going to give examples. He's not going to address particular cases, right? He's not going to do case studies. Like, you know, like, you know, first Corinthians, we get like the case study of like the dude who's having sex with his mother-in-law or whatever, right? Like that's, or, you know, his stepmom or or whoever it is he's having sex with that he's not supposed to, right? Um, That ends up serving as a kind of case study, right? He addresses other specific issues, right? John's not going to do that. John's not going to give us case studies, right? He's going to continue his remorselessly, relentlessly logical, um, 
I'm going to provide you the really simple and inescapable facts and walk you through. That's the way he's going to talk. He's going to continue to talk that way all the way through. Um, And so there's a lot of that question. Um, There's a lot of that question of, um, uh, of what does this mean? How do we, like, what does this look like? What does it look like in my life? Right. Um, That he's not going to answer for us. Exactly. Right. And that I think is not only the challenge, I think it's part of the point actually, but, um, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more. And this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm trying to be so practical about this. Um, uh, I don't think that we can engage with this text, right. Engage with this epistle and not be thinking about it in these kinds of practice. What does it mean actually for me? Right. Um, John ain't going to give us any answers, but it, it's going to demand answers. Um, and so we need to work it out. How do we work it out? On what basis do we work it out? That's, that's what we'll see. I think uh, John developing a little bit more. All right. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for uh, joining me again this week. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. So good to be back. And guess what? I'll be here again next week. So no problem. We're going to have study again next week. And I think even the week after that. So I have uh, some travel, more travel that's coming up, but it's confined to the weekdays by and large, I think, at least at this point. So um, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Um, See you guys again next week. Uh, And uh, uh, until then, God bless. And I will see you guys later. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through 1 John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.